Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends, episode 420. I know what that number means. It's legal, so I can make that joke. A lot going on in sports. Uh, at the time that we're recording, I just heard about the confirmation that Aaron Rodgers' MRI revealed a torn Achilles. I was at the game, and... You know, my history of covering Jets games, that was one of the weirder ones. Uh, the excitement was so palpable, and then it just, everything got shattered instantly. So no, the podcast is not about that. It's actually about a TV show, and it's funny, I also do a show called The Hall of Justice, and that's where we usually review TV shows and movies, but this time, it's sports, and it's winning time. Winning time is the type of show... That if you're a sports fan, you dig. And if you're not a sports fan, especially if you're not a basketball fan or especially not a Lakers fan, it doesn't matter. It's intoxicating. The characters are so gripping. And it's just a fun ride. And the funny thing is, is unlike Star Wars or superhero stuff, you can spoil this because it's history. You know, it's a little fictionalized, but it's all based on Jeff Perlman's Showtime book. Jeff Perlman, who has done this podcast a number of times, talked about season one of Winning Time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty, back on episode 342, so a while ago. Season two is airing now on HBO, and simultaneously it's airing on the app, formerly HBO Max, but now it's just Max, whatever. And if you're listening to this podcast, the week it comes out... This Sunday is the season two finale of Winning Time. If you're listening to this in the future, you've either seen Winning Time. I recommend that you see Winning Time before you listen to this podcast. It's not really spoilers because you know what happens. It's the Los Angeles Lakers. Before I introduce our special guest today, let's hear a trailer for season two of Winning Time. Do you think the Lakers can win another title? You bet. Any advice for your opponents? Better watch out. Nice pack, baby. Basketball's the sport of the decade. You got the kids on the team now. The bus empire's taking off. We brought home the gold. But one ring ain't gonna keep us in that room. You gotta keep winning. Look, Irma, you know why nobody repeats? Because the guys that you beat along the way, they spent all that time figuring out new ways to break you down. We're not gonna take it. They're fucking girls. We ain't gonna take it. They're sissy fans. We're not gonna take it. Beat LA. We built this team to win. The things change. In charge, not magic. A real coach doesn't need to prove it, Paul. Any comment on Magic's new contract? A basketball team is like a family. You pick out any one member, others will wonder whether or not they belong. Would you say your head coach, interim coach, or? You look good in that chair. Probably something, huh? A woman owner. You could bring him home a hundred trophies. You're never gonna be his favorite son. They're the dynasty. 
We're the flash in the pan. And that's all we're ever gonna beat until we beat the goddamn Celtics. Fuck Boston. Everybody's a fucking hero in their driveway. Put them under the bright lights. Most of them are praying that the ball don't come to them. One guy's praying that it does. Go see Winning Time. You want them to have a third season, right? Let's all watch this show. Like Jeff Perlman has been saying on social media, remember, in season three, things get better for the Lakers. And if you want to see the success, the building of the Lakers dynasty, there needs to be a season three. Let's introduce our special guest. He has an incredible story, and I'm going to let him tell you his full background. But bottom line, Idan Ravine works with basketball players. He met with Steve Francis, who loved the work he was doing when he was coaching youth basketball. And word of mouth, he has worked with some of the NBA's biggest stars, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Amari Stoudemire, Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony, Steph Curry, James Harden, Blake Griffin, who's been on this podcast, and the late Kobe Bryant. And the producers at Winning Time hired Idan Ravine to help with casting, but also to train these actors into looking like basketball players and being able to play basketball. And when I tell you the attention to detail is remarkable. In season two, there's a lot of Larry Bird. And Sean Patrick Small plays Larry Bird. And when he takes a jump shot, it looks like Larry Bird is taking a jump shot. When Magic Johnson makes a move, it looks like it's Magic Johnson. The guy who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Solomon Hughes, who's amazing, he was a basketball player. Quincy Isaiah, who's Magic Johnson, he's a football player. The whole show is fascinating, and the conversation is fascinating. Let's welcome to Sports with Friends, Adon Ravine. Adon, first of all, thanks for doing this. How does somebody who's worked with basketball players get a job turning these actors to make them literally look like basketball players. How so, does one get that opportunity? So that, that's a great question. So, Oh, they uh, go downhill after that. I just wanted <laughs> So maybe about three years ago, I got a call from Adam McKay's team and they said, Hey, can you turn one of our actors into magic Johnson? And I laughed. I was like, there's 400 guys in the NBA who can't be magic Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's anyone that can do this. I can. And I said, what's my time frame? And they said, uh, you know, maybe a week or so. And I thought, that's like turning, that's like turning Bruce Lee into a black belt overnight, right? It's not going to happen. Right. I said, well, let me come out to L.A. Let me look under the hood, see what we have, and I'll kind of figure out the scope of work. So I flew out to L.A. and I met with Quincy. Um, and Quincy's a... Quincy Isaiah, who plays Magic Johnson in the two seasons of this show, who literally is amazing in this show. He Such a great performance. Continue. 
Absolutely. So I met Quincy and we spoke and he told me that he was a lineman in college and bigger, thicker guy. Um, and so we did some workouts and I came back to Adam and I said, look, this is what I see the scope of the work as. The first thing is to turn Quincy into more of a basketball athlete. So not that he wasn't a good athlete, but it's a different kind of athlete. Are you so talking about his physical appearance or the way he carries both, himself? Both, both, right? So the more important to me is like there's the physical appearance level of it, and then there's also the ability to be an athlete. So he's a good athlete, but it's different. So when you're an alignment, you're physical, you're working within a five-yard confine, the sure. power is more horizontal, you're heavier, you're thicker. To be a basketball player at this level, it requires 94 by 50. It requires you to be smooth and elevated and long and agile and quick and also have more power vertically, right? So the first phase was turning him to more of an athlete in the frame of a basketball player. The second element was turning him into a actual basketball player and developing certain technical skills. So that meant shooting, dribbling, passing, scoring, understanding- I mean, The behind the back passes that he does, he literally looks like Magic Johnson. It's fantastic, right? So to me, that was the second phase of this to turning him to a basketball player. And the reason why this is so important is that when you work with very elevated directors, such as Adam McKay and Sally Richardson, what happens oftentimes is that there's requirement of improvisation. So you have to have a basic skill set in order to be able to improvise. Without it, you're looking at it's going to be a very one-dimensional, being a very limited sort of performance. Imagine you're watching an incredible martial arts movie, and all you know, how to, and the actor just knows how to do one kata. It wouldn't work, right? He knows how to has to be able to do a whole bunch of things because the director might want to see it. Even if it might not be in the script, there might be a moment where he needs to see it. I'm thinking of that scene, uh, Brad Pitt and the guy who played Bruce Lee in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Precisely, yes. So then the next phase of this process is that when they've mastered the athleticism, once they master the basketball player, the next phase is turning him into the silhouette of the character. And that's the rocket science, right? Because at the end of the day, you're not playing John Smith. You're playing some of the most iconic characters in history where everyone knows what magic looks like. So that became, how does magic run? How does magic dribble? How does magic shoot? How does magic pass? The extra drama and sauce that he puts on every pass, every look away, everything just has to be extraordinary precise. And then factor that into the equation of that, that acting also has to reflect the emotional beats of the story. And it also has to be moments where you deliver dialogue. So I give these actors such tremendous credit because this process was very, very, very hard and they mastered it along the way. Let's stick with winning time because then I want to talk more about your career and some sure. of the, the, the ball players that you've worked with. But sure. um, the characteristics of the players, I don't know how much of this is your role versus a director or a writer or somebody. Um, you know, my friend Jeff Perlman wrote the book yes. that it's yes. based on, and he's been on the podcast a number of times. So I thought this was a really cool angle to take because this stuff fascinates me. In season two, Larry yeah. Bird plays a bigger role than in season one. Sure. And what I thought was typified in the basketball scenes, I mean, even the scenes when he's working out by himself and Red Arbach, uh, Michael Chiklis walks in, he looks like Larry Bird. Like the way he cocks his, his hands when he shoots, he looks like Larry Bird shooting. And Larry Bird had an unorthodox right. shooting style. Right. So Seth, you're how much at, is that? How much of that is you? It's it's 18 months of work. That's the th so I, I'm I feel fantastic knowing that these actors executed at such a level that people didn't say, is that Sean? They're thinking that's Larry. 
That's 18 months of work that everything was extraordinarily nuanced, right? So Sean had played, but he never played like Larry. So it's deconstructing the shot every moment, how Bird externally rotates his feet, how his pelvis is, how his guide hand is shifted to create a big window from his right hand. Like everything was like was dialed into the specific detail because I wanted it to really sell on camera. Now, remember, what makes this, again, even more remarkable, what these actors did was we're not doing this in stationary positions. It's one thing to shoot a free throw. It's nothing to do it in the context of gameplay, which Sean, Sean did. Sean Patrick Small. I'm sorry. I just wanted oh, yeah. to cut you off. It's Sean Patrick Small for the audience. Yeah, what Sean Small did was extraordinary. It's like he, like he mastered the character. So he never, like, he, he always stayed in character in Larry Bird through the way he runs, the way he shoots, the way he looks at the camera, the way he mean mugs, the way he looks away in his passes. I mean, I spent a tremendous amount of time studying every single nuance of every one of these characters and then applying it to these actors. It, it, it's one of those things where, you know, when when I think about great portrayals of original characters, in in this modern era where we had television in the 80s and, you know, I was a child of the 80s. So, you know, this is not this is not when when uh, when the movie 60, 61 came out, you know, Billy Crystal's right. movie. Right. Because I didn't see those guys. I don't, I, I don't know if he looked like Roger Maris or not. Sure. sure. In this cir- circumstance, I mean, every player that Solomon Hughes plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right. Um, and the way he executes the skyhook. Right. And how much of that it's that's the remarkable uh, part of this is you're taking. But in your career. Right. You'd worked with basketball players, correct? Like you'd worked with Carmelo Anthony. You'd worked with actual players. How hard is it to work with people that don't have the basketball instincts? It's different, right? So I've worked with over 100 NBA players. I've worked with over 15 NBA All-Stars from Carmelo to Durant. You know, Carmelo won the national championship for Syracuse, so that's yeah, why Steph I said Steph Curry, him. James Harden, Chris. I've worked with everybody, right? And so when people ask me this question, my response is that I specialize in sports athletic performance. So all of this falls under the, uh, the, the heading of performance. In basketball, the performance metrics are a little bit different. I'm looking at efficiencies. I'm looking at percentages. I'm looking at angles. I'm looking at different metrics. In the acting world, I'm still looking at performance, but my metrics are different. I'm looking, does it sell on camera? Is it cinematic? Is it authentic? Does it feel right? Right? Um, is the audience going to be questioning this? Are they wondering, am I watching an actor do this? Or am I watching, or do I really truly feel like the character is doing this? So this still falls under the, the heading of performance. It's just a different type of performance. Is the question, are you asking? Asking me, was it challenging? Absolutely, but it's always a different level of challenge, right? You know, making Steph Curry a little bit more efficient. My my comparison is that it's hard for a civilian to understand what that means. But if I took if I took a Tour de France bike, right, and they see a speck of dirt on it, you know, to the civilian they go, "That's a speck of dirt." But at that level, you remove that speck of dirt, you're looking at a first place finish versus a second place finish, right? So the degrees are different, right? But still challenging. So working with the actor, yes, it's it, it is. It was very challenging, but it was also a lot of blank slates because most of the actors were football players. You know, Solomon was a was a basketball player, but that's but, but we had a different challenge on that. I'll get into later. So I had a bit of a clean slate. Um, what made it a little bit more challenging was developing the sort of the basketball instinct that you need, right? Um, and the thing that I give the guys a lot of credit for is that we train very, very, very hard. One, to be able to have like a, they have to sort of have the body type of the athlete. So there was a physical component, right? You had to be lean. We couldn't have a lot of muscle density. And so training sessions were very heavy on condition and high on volume. 
you know, the thing that I would always tell the guys is that in order for this to sell subconsciously, you have to truly believe and have experienced what it's like to train like an NBA player. I mean, imagine you're doing a, a movie about Navy SEALs. Well, if you've never ro rolled in the sand, it won't sell. And I told the guys all the time, we have to roll in the sand. You have to experience how hard is it to train and how hard is it for NBA guys and, and the shit that they go through for in order for me to watch you on camera and go, this is an NBA level player. You worked on season two and season one? Correct. And the pilot. Yeah. Right. And the, and the, and the, and the, yeah. and the pilot, pilot. What has been your impression of the final product? You know, we're not doing this as a film review, but I, I just, I think that show is stinking great and what i what i have loved about the reaction to it from people i know is non-basketball fans are loving it um, yeah so I, I think i think the show's great i think the basketball is a vehicle to tell very important stories i think there's a lot of like things that people don't know about like the life of a professional athlete is really tough I don't know what it's like to have a hundred million dollars and sort of walk through the world temptation day in and day out. Right. It's like right, right. people like I see it in my, in my world because I've been around these athletes for 15 years at the highest, of highest of levels, but 99.99% of the world doesn't know what it's like. So I think the portrayal of magic is really, really profound. Right. Because I don't know what it's like to be six foot nine and be the most famous guy on the planet and to be handsome and women to throw yourselves at you and have all the money in the world. It's yeah. it's a very hard thing to be. And I think what's very profound about the story is it just kind of shows, you know, man's susceptibility, susceptibility to temptation. There are themes about misogyny, about racism, about sexism, about like the ageism. There's so many profound themes that this story addresses that in, in a way that's anecdotal that I think is makes this show kind of remarkable, profound in many ways. So while it's very entertaining to me, it's also like uh, culturally and politically and socially and economically relevant. What did you know about the Lakers and Celtics from that era? I mean, were, I knew. I mean, were, were you a big basketball fan growing up? Yeah, I mean, I knew everything, right? I mean, and I read Jeff's book. His book came out the same time as mine did. I know Jeff. We had the same literary agent, so uh, very familiar with the topic. I think what I wasn't familiar with was the the, the creative interpretation of the period. And that's where the writers did a really wonderful job, right? Because, you know, I can read about Abe Lincoln getting shot in the theater, but it's all the drama that leads up to the shooting, right? And that's what the writers did a really wonderful job doing is, is like giving us insight into sort of their creative interpretation of the moment. Uh, your book is called The Hoops Whisperer uh, on the court and inside the head of basketball's best players. That That's the book that came out at the same time as Showtime yes. did? Correct, correct. Wow. That's so and, uh, and the Hoops Whisperer was essentially uh, kind of I was too young to have a memoir, but it's essentially kind of uh, my my life and how I went from a religious upbringing to a lawyer to training many of the best athletes in the world without sort of any, I guess, traditional background that you would assume. Right. Um, and it's just kind of my experiences in the gym with them and um, how they impacted my life and how it impacted theirs. Steve Francis was the guy who got you working with these one-on-one -on -one training sessions. Could you tell a little bit of the history of you were, you were coaching basketball from, you know, from my research here, you were yeah. coaching youth, youth basketball and Steve Francis said, wait a minute, could you work with me? And no, no, no. I wish, I wish it was that easy. Right. So what it was, <laughs> so was it wasn't uh, just one afternoon. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I, I was, uh, I was a very talented athlete growing up and I grew up very religious. So 
the way I grew up, I could have been come. There's not many options for a, a religious Jewish kid. I could have become a rabbi, a cantor, a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, or a teacher. So I did what a good Jewish boy was supposed to do, and I became a lawyer. But I was an incredibly unhappy lawyer, right? But when you grow up religious like I do, you tend to see everything in the form of prayer. So I would sit behind my big lawyer desk in my big lawyer suit, looking at a pile of my big lawyer work, and I would just clasp my hand and pray, and I would just pray that God would send me down an answer that would essentially impale itself on my desk. I was looking for a post-it note that said, Edan, you're going to go from lawyer to this, and that never happened. So in order to sort of free myself from this frustration, I work, I started volunteering at a YMCA with little kids and coaching basketball, but I never coached formally. I never really had formal coaching. So I gave all these 12 year old boys drills that I had created for myself when I was a kid, dribbling drills, conditioning drills, running drills, shooting drills. And very soon, you know, parents would call me and they'd say, Don, what are you doing with my kid? And I was like, what do you mean? What am I doing with your kid? And they'd say, well, my son is a spaz. He's difficult. He gets detention. But for some reason, he's really focused on practice. I thought, well, maybe I know more than the dad who's coaching his son's team. So then I continued to uh, practice and like work with mm. these teams. We went undefeated that year. And at the end um, of the season, a mother called me and said, next time you come to practice, come a little bit early. So I did. I showed up at practice and there were a bunch of red cups and pizza boxes. And lo and behold, all these 12-year-old boys have pulled their allowance money to throw me a pizza party. And I thought, well, 12-year-old okay. boys should be buying video games with their allowance money, not buying pizza for someone who should be having pizza in the first place. And a, a parent <laughs> pulled me aside and they said, I don't know what you're doing with my kid. And I thought, well, maybe I'm as just- a, As a Jewish person myself, I find the humor in that. that I don't know if the audience appreciates this as much as I am right now. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, so essentially I, I said, well, maybe I'm just a good teacher because I inherited a teaching gene from my parents who both made a career out of teaching Jewish education. So I continued to work at this law firm. And then eventually I was like, I hate this. I quit. So I move home. I don't know what to do with my life. I'm scrambling. So I chose, so I, I did what I always do. I go to the park and play on my own. When I got to the park, I ran into a couple of kids that I used to play with in the park, but I was a very talented athlete, but that was more of a park player. And these kids years later were taller, bigger, faster, stronger. Some of them were playing overseas. So I said, Hey, you guys want to get into the gym and work on a few things, not having any never foreseeing that this would lead to something wonderful in my life. It was just, let's go to the gym. So I gave them a couple drills that I had created from when I was a kid, running drills, shooting drills, dribbling drills, and they loved it. And they wanted to come back again and again and again. And very soon, you know, like the word sort of spread that were these free sessions, workout sessions. And eventually Steve Francis walked into the, into the gym. And I didn't think much of it because he was connected. We had one degree of separation. And then Steve went through a workout and was like, this is great. Can we continue? Oh, so you weren't like, wow, that's an NBA guy. You're no, like, no, I know no, this I've guy. Been, I know no. him. He knows so-and-so. No, for some reason, like it's not my personality to ever be enamored, right? I, I just feel like we're like I I was always I, I like I give respect to people's like ability and their success, but it's I've never been enamored by anything like that, whether it's music or TV or politics, nothing. So Steve thought it was great. And then he continued to come. And then, you know, lo and behold, all these years later, like that led me to bigger kids, stronger kids, taller kids, faster kids, you know, word of mouth spread. And then maybe established sort of a career training, you know, many, many, many NBA players. More Sports with Friends in just a moment. You know, I love hosting this show, and obviously I want as many people as possible to hear every episode. I put a lot of effort into them. The reality, though, is that podcast discovery, whether you're a podcaster or a podcast listener, is hard. That's why I've partnered with the folks at Marble. M-A-R-B-Y-L. Not like marbles in your mouth like it sounds when I'm doing my podcasts. Marble's AI identifies the five most interesting moments in a podcast episode 
and instantly transforms them into searchable, shareable clips called marbles. We've done close to 400 episodes of this show, and sometimes you want to hear about themes that we've done. You can search for hockey podcasts that we've done, football podcasts that we've done. If you want to hear about the paralysis situation with Eric Legrand or the release of Brittany Griner, we've done four separate podcasts on Brittany Griner's arrest. All the amazing coverage we did of sports and COVID. You can easily make a marble out of this. It's easy to create and share marbles from anywhere inside my episodes on the Marble app. And as a listener of Sports with Friends on Marble, I think it's cool that anyone can go in and be the first to claim something that's said on the show as their own personally created marble. You can share it on Instagram, TikTok, social media, and if you're old like me, you can even put it on Facebook. You can be the first to marbleize a moment on the show. And it helps me get discovered. If you're a podcaster, join me in marbleizing your show. Just head to marble.com. That's M-A-R-B-Y-L.com to get started. And if you're a listener that doesn't have a podcast, it's a great and free way to directly support Sports with Friends to get the app. Simply create and share one marble from something said on this show that you enjoyed, not something you hated. When you subscribe to my show on Marble, you'll get access to all the latest marbles as they roll out. Marble is a free app for both iOS and Android users, so head to marble.com. That's M-A-R-B-Y-L.com, or search Marble in the app or Google Play stores. Change the way you listen to podcasts. What I'm fascinated in, the word of mouth, you trained some heavy hitters. You mentioned James Harden, Kevin Durant, Steph, um, LeBron, Kobe, D Wade. So, so these players, these players, they have trainers. Sure. The teams have trainers. Sure. I'm almost asking to sell yourself, but what do you offer them that they can't get somewhere else? Um, I want to say because I wasn't privy sort of to the institution of basketball, I have a very different perspective and see the game differently than most people. So because I didn't play for Larry Brown, I'm not regurgitating doctrine, which happens a lot in professional sports, is the player regurgitates what his coach taught him and his coach taught him and his coach taught him. It becomes sort of the, becomes sort of the 10 commandments of sports, right? Everyone's sort of saying the same thing. And because I didn't come from that world, I had to develop my own sort of special sauce and my own magic. And intuitively, I, I think I have an eye that's different than other people. And then over the years, I also, you know, earned more master's degrees. I have different education than other people, more licenses, more certifications, and more experience. And I can tend to sort of be able to uh, analyze the situation and come up with a solution that most people don't know the answer to. So I'll give you an example. Um, Andre Drummond was the career NBA worst free throw shooter at less than 20-something uh -huh. percent. The Detroit Pistons wanted to bring in every specialist imaginable, from the physicist to Jerry West to Rick Barry to the chemist to the AI specialist to the VR to the hypnotist to the psychiatrist to the psychologist. Everyone and their mother had an opinion. Dre reached out to me, and I said, no problem, and I met him. And we worked together. It was like a short six-week period, um, and he went from 28% to 85%. And the irony is that we didn't ever even focused on shooting free throws. Huh. So I think that where my, I think I'm a problem solver. I'm an issue spotter and a problem solver. I think that's also part of my background being a lawyer is that I can spot an issue and I can solve an issue. 
And oftentimes I think that people are looking at the wrong thing. So I believe that you can often solve a problem by not addressing the problem. And that was sort of my solution with Andre Drummond was that, that there was a lot of sort of technical, biomechanical, other issues I can't really go into to, to help fix the issue. But we didn't have to address the actual problem in order to make it better. And I think that is sort of an example of what I do throughout my career is that I find uh, inspiration in unlikely places and I find solutions where other people aren't willing to look. You mentioned LeBron James. Um, I find the guy fascinating. I've yep. never interviewed him. Uh, I, I just, I, I find his position fascinating, you know, his role as the face of a league fascinating. Right. Um, but I have to imagine, you know, I, I watched that barbershop show that he does. Sure. That sure. Great. Is he as down to earth as it just seems to be? You don't have to tell any secrets out of yeah. school, but just sure. is, does he, is he seem like the genuine article? Look, I'll give you this. I've never been an Instagram trainer. I don't YouTube. I don't post my videos. I don't post my workouts. I believe in the privacy of the people. Oh, you're you're going to share the podcast. Yes, of course. Of course. But like, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in becoming Instagram. I, I'm yeah, of course. So when someone comes into the gym with me, there's parameters. It's just, you know, you're, I need you to be vulnerable. I need you to be transparent. I need you to be honest. You know, LeBron James 101 is a very, very special, very kind, very decent guy. And that's my experience with him. When, I, when, you know, when people say to me, what makes LeBron so remarkable? And my response is, is that it's the devotion and the consistency. You know, I can't speak to working with him for 20 years, but in the time with him, I found that there is just a level of responsibility and devotion that he gives every single day, right? Like, I think he's the kind of guy when you get off a plane at five o'clock in the morning, will still unpack his suitcase and put his stuff away. And that to me is like what makes him special. Um, I wrote about this in my book. It's one thing to get to the top. It's another thing to stay there. And uh, what LeBron has done over the course of 20 years is absolutely unprecedented and absolutely remarkable. Um, I think that he has so many pressures to, um, I guess, be uh, be a dad, be a husband, be a friend, be a son, and then like uh, be the face of the NBA, be a face of Hollywood, be like he has so much responsibility and he does it, always does it in, in such an elegant, elevated way. I think that's how he's wired. Um, when people say to me, what makes Steph Curry so special? And my response is that uh, um, when you're around him, there's almost like this orb, there's this kind of like warm light that emits around him. There's like this righteousness and this kindness. And when you're around him, all you want to do is your best. And I think that's why Golden State has been good for so long. Is because when you're around him, he, literally his spirit elevates you. You never want to disappoint him. You want to bring your best because he always will. And he does it in a way with such humility and such grace. And so I think all the players I've worked with all have something very special about them and what makes them, you know, those Hall of Fame athletes. On on your list, I saw uh, Blake Griffin. He, yes. He's been on this podcast. Yeah. He's one of the funniest human beings I've ever known. Yeah, he's great. Uh, I just yeah, they, I I think the 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 cool thing and and you mentioned how you you see these guys. All right, two more names I want to throw at you. Sure. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, just because I saw him when he was 18 years old and he won the national yeah. championship. Right. Uh, his NBA career has been a roller coaster, I would say. Yeah. Um, but again, he I've seen interviews with him. I, he seems like a really good dude. So I worked with Melo from. Today, he left Syracuse till about 2015. That's like kind of the sort of the scope of the time I worked in, maybe like 13, 14 years. Mm -hmm. I know him, I'd say, better than most people on this planet. Um, he is, people say to me, who is the most talented player you ever work with? It would be him. 
um, his ability to sort of, it's one thing to sort of like, uh, it's, he has this incredible gift to be able to digest something and make it part of who he is. So you can work on a drill and you can work on something and then immediately he's able to incorporate in this play incredibly naturally. Um, I think he is, uh, under my watch, I found his work ethic to be second to none, devoted, disciplined, hungry. Um, uh, I think that, um, yeah, is he a, like, he's a good guy. He's a good father. He's a good, you know, like there's so many, like, there's so many nice things to say about right. him. He's not an asshole. Right. No, no. The truth is that none of, no one is right. No, right. None of these guys are right. That that's why like, you know, in, in gym with me, I, I try to create a situation that feels like a classroom feels that you can be very transparent. I've had some of the most famous play people you'd ever imagine crying, kick a ball and sort of burst into tears around me. But I encourage those type of situations, right. Cause that's the only time you get better. Um, it's very easy to, for me to see what's what someone doesn't do well, and it's very easy for me to see what someone does well. But my responsibility is, I say to their game, and you know, I take it very seriously. Like, uh, you know, I, I they trust me with something that comes second in their life behind God, family, and their health, and that's their game, and I treat that with reverence. So whenever I walked into the gym, it was always with tremendous respect for the game and for them, and to do whatever I could to not just give them a workout or train, but help them reinvent themselves. And that's where I give myself a lot of pride is that every time my, the player I would work with would come back the following year and go to camp, they would be a different player, not a better player, a wow. different player. What point of Kobe Bryant's career did you work with him? The reason I ask it that way, uh, when he passed, we did a, a, a tribute episode and there were different layers to it. Uh, I had different people on and you know, people say they, they worked with him in the beginning of his career tell right. a very different story of Kobe Bryant than the end of his career. So right. what part of Kobe Bryant's career uh, did you happen to work with? So him? I probably worked with him. I'd say between like the half and two thirds point, I worked with him briefly right. and people would say to me, what, what I found to be the most special about Kobe Bryant, a trait that he has that many people don't have. And it's his mental stamina. And I, I try to equate this to anyone who's ever been in college or gone to grad school finals week is an absolute bear, right? It's just so absolutely overwhelming. And Kobe treated every day as if it was finals week. He just had a stamina about him that was not like unlike anyone I'd ever seen. And this is after a guy who's won a hundred scoring titles and a hundred millions of dollars and famous guy and had everything you can imagine. And yet every day he brought it as if the next day was he was like about to take a final exam. And that's the part that I said, wow, this guy is remarkable. It's not just, it's like he was 100% present in his training, 100% present in his focus. There was no distraction. There was no wavering. Um, and that's that mental intensity. I, I've never seen anything like it before in my life. Have there been players more talented, more physically gifted, more skilled? Sure. But there's never been one that treated the game with the same, with the focus that he had. Uh, one last thing on winning time. What would you say to somebody who has never seen any episodes of winning time? I would imagine there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that are sports fans that don't watch dramatic shows. Um, I don't know. Maybe they didn't hear when we had Jeff Perlman on, but the reality of it is, is what would you say to somebody who hasn't seen winning time on how you see that show? What, what what would you say? I know what I would say. I, I, I yeah. think it's stinking amazing. But what would you say? I, I think it's sort of a, a fantastical rendition of the period. Um, it's like you take music back. is so good. 
Yeah, it's great. Like it's just you took basketball and then you you gave it like a costume. You gave it a wig. You gave it like stunts. You gave it firecrackers. It's like you took the game I love and you turned it into a story. And that's the thing that's beautiful about it, right? Like every moment, basketball is this vehicle that kind of imparts like a dialogue, but also imparts very important like sort of messages in life. Um, I think there's the there's the superficial about this is fun, this is exciting, this is great, I love. And then there's also to me there's the emotional aspect, and there's like the deep, deep, deep textured part about seeing, um, you know, an under underrepresented community in Hollywood have such a big presence on the show, which to me is very important. I think there is just these actors that I did a lot of the casting on the basketball, and that one act, not one person was cast because of their Instagram following; they were cast because of merit. Um, you cat you wait you worked on the casting of yeah yes yes like some I, was of the, I was responsible Dennis for Johnson looks just like Dennis Johnson and I and it took me a forever to find him yes I was responsible for a lot of those pieces as well I was responsible for a lot of the casting right wow. and so and so remember as well and the casting was very complex because people go oh it's easy to find basketball players my response is actually it's really much harder than you think because any good basketball player was playing somewhere. Any player that played a lot was just their their body type wasn't good enough for the show. They couldn't they couldn't handle a sixteen hour day, right? Any any sort of street ball player or Instagram type basketball player wouldn't work because they 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 wouldn't fit within the organizational culture of the show, which required a lot of selfless uh, play and a lot of humility. So it's been it took a very 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 long time to find a group of thirty guys that physically looked like the period that could play that fit the organizational culture. And also um, were smart enough and skilled enough to be able to take notes and direction because the choreography was very complex. And I look, I looked, I looked, uh, you know, under every single rock to find Dr. J. It took me a long time. Oh, and that's that's of, right. I forgot about it. Oh there's God. lots of athletes that jump really high, but there's very few that float. So to be able to also teach them how to become, you know, their doubles, how to become Dr. J, how to dunk like that. I mean, there's like, there's a lot of nuance to every single character, even in the casting element of it. So I think the one thing that's very beautiful about the show that everything that you see is done with a lot of thought. There's nothing random. It really is. I mean, uh, Spencer Garrett's been on uh, my podcast. Fantastic. Yeah. He's amazing as Chick Hearn. Uh, yeah. Uh, the guy who played Delante D'Souza, who plays Michael Cooper, is uh, remarkable. And we're only talking about the basketball players because I knew I was having you on. Yeah. I mean, Adrian Brody's brilliant. John C. Riley is brilliant yes. in this show. Yes. I, yes. I, it goes on. It, the, Hadley and, uh, Robinson uh, as Jeannie Buss. You can't get enough of her. And now how about this one? Delante D'Souza plays Michael Cooper, is yeah. naturally left-handed. It took us three years to make him right-handed. Just to let you know how complicated these oh roles are. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's something, and, and and unless you say that, no one notices. No that. one would no know. But, but I give them a lot of credit because you yeah. don't need to, right? But if we were going to dial down into what it took, that was a naturally left-handed kid who had never picked up a ball in anything before in his life. No, I what what attracted me in the beginning, and especially in season one, was the jerseys. You know, the Seattle SuperSonics and uh, the New Jersey Nets uniforms from those eras. You know, like some of that stuff is, it, it, and it's there's so much authenticity. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a brilliant show. It, it really I appreciate it. A, a lot of people deserve a lot of credit. They work very hard and very talented. Yeah, it, it's again, if you if you love, you know, I, I'm a sucker for sports documentaries. So the Lakers documentary was also amazing. Yeah. Um, but this is just it, it it takes you into a world. And, you know, it was funny. I I had only seen one episode when I found out we were having you on. So I was like, this was a true binge. I watched it in three days and I. Oh, it's awesome. Like, 
I can't get enough of this. I was like, awesome. I don't want it to be over. <laughs> well, let's let's hopefully knock on wood. There's a season three because it's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, that, that, it, indeed. Uh, how can people find you? Uh, again, we'll put the, the the book title in the show notes and things like that. But how can people find you? Social media. Um, so I'm at uh, Idan Ravine. I'm on Instagram at Idan One I D A N W A N. Uh, I'm on Twitter, the same handle. Facebook, the same handle. Um, I've written uh, the Hoops Whispers. Available sold out in bookstores but it's available on amazon and ibooks in the form of an ebook a hard copy of paperback cool. i've written a children's book called it takes patience and uh, i helped my father uh, write another book called harmonica which is about the business business of religion very very cool don thank you so much for doing this thank you for having really me. really appreciate it and please come back to the podcast oh whenever you want i'm here we will take you up on that that is don ravine go see winning time the season two finale airs this Sunday on HBO, simultaneously on Max. You can see both season one and season two on Max. And like I said, having Jeff Perlman on again would have been cool. Uh, Jeff is busy writing another book, and he's going to come back to the podcast when he writes the book. But this was an opportunity to meet a fascinating fellow. Next week, we're going to tackle sports business. Find out about the situation with ESPN and Spectrum that got resolved right before Monday Night Football, where streaming is going, and this writer strike and the actor strike and how it impacts sports, the regional sports networks, all of it. Eric Fisher from Sports Business Journal is going to join us. Thanks for supporting the podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes, and we will see you next week. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay, I got to be me. person that you really are now.